Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampion. And my guest today is a is a, one of my family members, somebody I look up to, somebody that I seek wise counsel from. He's a former Marine, Mr. Cecil Lampkin. Thank you for joining me. Nice to be here. Thanks for um, inviting me. Yeah, you know, I, I like I said, you know, you wanted a few people that I, you know, when I got issues or something going on and I need some wisdom, you one of the people I come to, so it was it was an honor to definitely get you on the podcast. Um, that, that's that's some beautiful words, man. I've I know you all. We always talk and stuff like that, but I never looked at it in that light. I just looked at it as family, and you know, you learn from the old heads and Uncle George, your father, and the people that you know taught me and talked to me when I had things going on. So yeah, yeah. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are a proud Marine. What was it like serving in the Marines? <laughs> uh, it was it was difficult. I mean, it started out because uh, I had a, initially went to college, you know, and um, that wasn't working out for me. And I was um, got got into the the scene of going to school and partying, and ended up getting kicked out of college. So I knew I wasn't going back home because if I did started running around with some of the wrong crowd and I don't know where I ended up either dead or in prison and I, I just made that decision plus my sister had dated a guy that was in the Marine Corps and he'd always been kind of tugging on my ear when I was in high school so I joined and I was 22 years old boot camp was hard I mean it was tough because of it was a, a three it was three months of training you know first phase second phase and third phase and that first phase, they just broke your body down. They 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 belittled you, talked down to you, and they wanted pretty much to just get all those, all of that street stuff out of you. And um, you know, second phase, they wanted to build you back up and start training you the way they wanted to. And third phase, pretty much, I used to always say they were just sharpening the knife, you know, honing your skills, you know, of the stuff that they taught you, but. The hardest part for me was because I was a little older and I'd been out there in the street. You know, I I didn't really fall into a lot of that, you know, hoorah and, you know, uh, just following with, with blind, you know, blind faith, you know. So I was one of them ones, and I guess that's a Lampkin trait where, you know, I've got to fact, man, you know what, this, is, <laughs> this don't sound too right, man. You know, but, but I kept my mouth shut because there was a lot of times, you know, one of the things about the Marine Corps, Especially boot camp, you might they'll they'll challenge they would challenge you because this was back in the eighties and they would challenge you like you you know you think you bad enough you let's go in the gear locker and the best man come out of there well they didn't play by that, those rules they get you you might have went in that 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 gear locker with them but you best believe it was gonna be about five or six other drill instructors in there and they was go they was go put the thumps on you so I was smart enough to know that. Now, I just kind of did what I had to do, but yeah, it was it was pretty tough. And then I think the hardest part was, like I say, I I just knew that some of the stuff that they were doing, and you got to understand also, the Marine Corps is the last branch of the service to let blacks enlist in it. You know? Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. The Marine Corps was the last branch of the military out of the Army, Navy, Air Force. The Marines were the last branch to let. Um, blacks enlist in it, and the blacks actually were trained 
at Camp Lejeune in a place called Moffat Point. So hmm. if, if you look at historically, they they got a a, a society called called the Moffat Point Marines, and that's the those were the first Marines that um were enlisted and and went through boot camp there. So I mean, there was at that time there was three boot camps: Moffat Point for all blacks. Uh, Paris Island, South Carolina, and San Diego, California. And once they integrated, you know, the blacks with the whites, um, they they did away with Montford Point. But because of the, the brotherhood of the, of the, the African American Marines, they kept that society. Where's Montford? Where's Montford? Point. Where's that? Montford Point is a it, it's a place at, in Camp Lejeune, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Now I can't tell you exactly where because that was one of the bases that I never uh, served at, but I know mm. that's where it initially, where it originated, was in at in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I I never I never knew that. So they so so the blacks so basically the Marines had like segregated training. Oh yes, well all branches did, you know, because if you if you look at historically what blacks when they were first initially brought into the military the armed forces they served as uh truck drivers they cooks um porters you know they they did mediocre jobs like big latrines all that kind of nonsense but um uh as as the time went past and once the um once the president signed, I forgot which one, which president was, he signed that he was integrating the military and that all, you know, everyone was going to be created equally. They, that that actually stopped and, and Montreux Point actually was disbanded and the, the blacks started going to either Paris Island, South Carolina or San Diego. And the way they do that is anybody west of the Mason-Dixon line goes to uh, San Diego, California, and anyone east of the Mason-Dixon line goes to Paris Island, South Carolina. So that's how they split it up. Wow. Yeah. I I, I just it's funny because I mean I guess I should have I guess I should have known that you know there was segregation, but you know just the times we live in, you just and it really wasn't even that long ago. You just don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because you had a good well, thought. Well, one of the things that I actually—it's funny too. With um, with I just started. I just cracked the seal of this book my wife bought me like last year, and it's it's actually talking about the um, Medal of Honor winners for all all the Buffalo soldiers from from the Civil War all the way up into um, I forgot the, the date of it. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's all of all the African American African American military men, both Army Marine Corps, um, that served in combat that received the Congressional Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting book so far. Okay. Yeah. Now how did the military help you? I mean, because you got out, you um you did what? You did ten years or Yeah, I did uh actually three months shy of eleven years. Okay. Okay, yeah. how so with those close to eleven years, how did the military help you prepare prepare for life after? Well, 
I, one of the things that I first had to get out of my head was, I mean, there's always going to be regimental, you know, um, miles points in your life that, that you'll never get rid of from after getting out of the military. And, um, one of the things that the Marine Corps taught me is, you know, that the key words to them was always adapt and overcome. So when you, when you run into adversity in life, a lot of the times I just kind of, uh, I do one of the, that they, they had a thing called a, um, oh, shoot, I want to call it a five paragraph order, but it's kind of like where you do, uh, it's called a uh, situation, mission, execution, um, administrative, something I've forgotten, command and control. So you kind of put those principles into place and just kind of look at what, what you're dealing with and you, you look at the situation. You uh, kind of analyze it and you're trying to see how can I approach this and what can I do to, to change it, you know, and you just, you just follow, follow a lot of the guidelines that, that they taught you because they teach you those things and either, either combat or just trying to, to, to fix whatever is the problem, you know, you know, adapt and overcome and keep moving. So I think for me, I look at those kind of things and I, I, I remember a lot of times with stuff was so hard. Like, you know, you go out on them doggone, those 11, 12 mile, we call them humps, but well, force marches where you, you, you beating the ground and you tired and you, your feet hurting. And I mean, you sweating and I mean, you name it, everything's hurting on you and they just keep driving you. They keep driving you. So you look back at some of that stuff and like, Man, you know, if if I made it through that kind of nonsense, you know, this this stuff that I'm going through now ain't nothing but a cakewalk. So I just kind of look back and I try to attribute some of the stuff that I went through that was I felt and was so tough and so hard to the to to modern day when I'm going through something and say, man, if I went through that, I know I could make it through this. So. Yeah. Now your daughter is actually following your foot in your footsteps, and she went into the military. How did you feel about that? It was actually, I, I, I look at, you know, one of the things my wife, my wife is also a veteran. She was in the army and we met over in um, Iwakuni, Japan when I was stationed there. And we, when my daughter was in school, I'd always tell her about the military, but I, she, when she got into school, she got, when she graduated high school, she, she, started college and she pretty much said dad this I don't I'm I'm not really liking this and I said well why don't you try the military and she thought about it and so one day she came to me she said dad you know she said um would you be upset with me if if I didn't join the Marine Corps and I joined the army and I looked at her and I said look sweetie I said you got to do and join what if you want to join the military that's fine but you have to you have to join the branch of the military that you think is going to be more beneficial to you. You can't do or live your life for your mother or me, because if you try and live your life for what we want out of you, you know, that's, and that's not what you want. That's time wasted. You know, you wasted all that time trying to please us. And then now you're behind the curve. So you join whatever branch of the service that you want. Well, she, she wants, she chose the army. But the army didn't want it because she had a childhood asthma. Hmm. And after, um, but the army didn't want her, the navy didn't want her, and I, I was like, I don't know if I want you to join the Marine Corps. <laughs> I, 
I did. But I, I don't. I mean, I saw some of the things and the adversity that females had to go through, and and you know because they call the Marine Corps the the, the men's club, you oh, know. Okay. And and I used to watch and see some of that stuff, and I was like, I know how some of them guys, and I saw how some of those guys treated. WMs or what we call women Marines. And I'm like, man, I would lose my mind if she told, called me up and told me something like that because I'd be on a on a mission. <laughs> so I'd be like, you know what? Tell me who he is. Send me a picture and let me see what I can do. You know, but um, but she, she ended up joining the Air Force. The Air Force was the only branch that said, you know, if you haven't had a, a episode of asthma and you can get the, the waivers and you go through your, you know, the, the doctor, then come back and talk to us in three years. Well, one year had already passed. She hadn't had an episode. And after those two years, she stayed on it. And she ended up enlisting and going into the Air Force. Now, was she now, was she in school? Was she still in school with those two years? Or Yeah, she was still taking courses at um, the, the local community college here. And um, so she, she, she was working toward her, her two-year degree. And finally, when that time came and she, she joined the Air Force and went to boot camp, and she went to boot camp at um, Lackland Air Force Base, <laughs> which is funny. That was my first uh, first school when I got out of boot camp. That's where I went to school at, Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, wow. Right. So, so you laughing, you laughing, here she come. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's where they had the, um, the military police school. So that's that's what I did in the Marine Corps. Uh, a military police. Ah, okay, okay. Now you know I, I I wanted to definitely talk to you about your favorite amendment, the Second Amendment, <laughs> <laughs> the right to bear arms. Yeah. Uh, you 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 know you the person you easily the person I know with the most weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I could say in the family I probably am. For me personally, I would say the most period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I probably might have more than everybody in the family, too. Yeah, yeah you do. What what does well, it mean to you, the Second Amendment? Well, I guess, and, and you know, I'm don't get me wrong, I'm not a gun nut. I mean, I I like shooting, and I mean, if 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 you look at the history and uh, what the Marine Corps instilled into you, the first thing that they, they draw to you is like, you know what, every Marine is a rifleman. I don't care what job you have in the Marine Corps, your first priority and job is a, a combat infantryman, which means that you shoot. And um, I got into shooting when I got into the Marine Corps. I mean, I, I like the woods which I know I got that from my father, see, because, you know, um, he loved, he was a, he was an outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I grew up going, I was in the Boy Scouts and then, you know, joined the Marine Corps. My, my philosophy once I joined was like, where else can you go around, run around in the woods with a weapon and act like a damn fool and nobody cares? So, I mean, I like, I like shooting. And um, for me to, like you say, my grandmother used to always say, it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. And yeah. um, and I train. I like to shoot. I, 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 Some people like to do crossword puzzles. You know, some people like to, you know, do woodwork. I like to shoot. And I like to shoot whatever. I mean, long range, short range. And it's just, 
you know, to me, it's not, well, like I say, I'm not a gun nut, but it's just something that I like to do. You know? it, it come, but uh, I mean, I, I when I first started, I was joking it, but I mean, you you're a responsible gun owner, and I think that's the biggest difference. Like, it's one thing to have a, a gun, but it's another thing to be a gun owner who's irresponsible. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's a key word that you said, that James, and I'm glad you brought that up because um I I do I have weapons in the house and I have kids. And like before my daughter ever joined the Air Force, the first thing I did to her is I start teaching her and and actually keep talking to her about some of the things that um the same same concepts that the Marine Corps taught me, kind of like, you know, even before shooting a weapon, one of the things they used to tell us like was sight alignment. Sight alignment is and and it's funny, I mean I still remember that. Sight alignment is when the clear tip of the front sight post it's halfway up and centered from left to right in the rear sight aperture. And what that means is, you know, you got the, the front sight post, which it has one uh, the it, it, one stick, and then the rear sight aperture is kind of like a U, and you have to line up that front sight with the rear sight. And once you aim that up, you know, and I'm, I'm telling my daughter this, and I'm pulling up old paperwork and stuff like that and showing her these things and telling her, well, you learn this, then we'll go to something else. And then the, the next thing I did is after she learned a, a couple of those terms and understood what I was telling her, I I, I let her use a, a, a empty weapon and I showed her how to break it down and how to put it back together. Mm. And she got good at it. She could take a nine millimeter and break it down and put it back together. Now, how and old she was she when you, when you started it? I started with her probably about 14, 15 years old. Okay. And so, so I mean, I went out here in the state of Illinois, in order for you to even look at a weapon or touch a weapon in the gun store, you have to have what they call a FOID card. It's called a firearm owner's identification card. Mm -hmm. And it's, like I say, in Illinois, if, if you don't have that, they won't even let you buy wet, buy, buy rounds, buy bullets. Damn. And and um, at 13 years old, I took my daughter down to the Secretary of State and applied for her a FOID card. So she had that. And she still has it. Hmm. So is there age? Is there, there's no age limit to when you can get this. Yeah, it is. I mean, because because kids, you know, it, you know, Illinois is, is also country, also. So for hunters, you know, they they can start. You can get your kid a FOID card at the age. I'm I'm sure. I think it's either the age of twelve or thirteen. But I, I'm I'm almost certain. I think it's thirteen. But I when she turned thirteen. I got her a FOID card, and, and matter of fact, I was thinking my son just turned, he's getting ready to turn, Um, he's 14 now, and we were walking this morning, and I, I was thinking to myself, it's time for me to get him a FOID card, and I wanted to wait till he got a little older, because, you know, I won't say boys are more, not as, boys are not as responsible as girls, girls listen more, you okay. know, and now that my son is older, and, and, with the relationship we've always had the relationship but now like i told my wife when when he was younger i wanted you to teach him the nurturing part and things that you know that he needs to learn as a young you know how to treat a woman and these things how to cook those kind of things but now that he's gotten up in his teens now it's my time to take over and start training him as you know what to how to prepare him to be a man okay so but yeah um as getting off the subject, but yeah, that's that's how I feel about the Second Amendment. I mean, 
you teach you teach your kids how can you have a passion for doing something and you don't give your kids the opportunity to even try or see if they like it or not mm. and you know i want to make sure that he's prepared for life and i also want to make sure that if something happens he knows he has the he has the capability and knows the ins and outs and how to use a weapon okay yeah that's definitely important definitely important yeah. You know, you, we, you know, like I said, we, me and you, we talk a lot. You give me a lot of great advice. What are some things you're looking to improve from previous generation to the current and future generations of your family? Well, I could tell you this one. I, and I'm, I, when I looked at that question, I, when you initially gave me the question, I was like, man, what can I think about on that? But this next, what I, what I thought about was, um, what I've been going through, because you and I just talked about this about a couple of weeks ago, and well, um, the the things I've been going through, and one of them is just, you know, another one. My grandmother used to always say, "A closed mouth don't get fed." Yeah, you know. So, and I I use that analogy, but a lot of it was I always, and it, whenever I had something on my mind, I I never really talk to people about it, you know, problems, if I was feeling some, some kind of way, you know, someone to look up to, like you, when you and I talk, you know, and I remember I, um, when, when, when my father passed and, um, your father, um, uncle George, you know, I was, I was hurt. I was really, I was really, I, I didn't know what to say. And I, I, I didn't know how to feel. I mean, I was hurt because he was, he had passed, but, um, the way the way our our uncles and my father used to always say when you was going through something, pretty much their answer to it was handle it, boy. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I I remember Uncle George say, I know it's hard, you know, you, but you gotta handle it. And it's funny because you know I remember going through my I, I I was married before my my first marriage. I remember calling my dad and I was just torn apart about it and I was telling him and he you know his it was funny he, he pretty much said the same thing I know it's hard he said but boy you gotta handle it and you know it was you know I, that I was mad at him for a minute because I was like man you know that ain't the advice I was kind of looking for I was looking for a little you know give me some pointers or something yeah but that was the thing that was the way they dealt with stuff you know they was he was open I mean he was he was telling me just, you know, you're going to have to, pretty much the way I look at it was, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, this is the path you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to deal with this in your own way because I can give you all the guidance you, you that I know, but what works for me ain't going to work for you. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that um, I, I, like I said, when I go back to about the closed mouth, you know, I, for years, even as a child, I held a lot of things in. I never talked about it, and you know, it 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 was just something where I just stored it away in a repository and never told anybody about it. And you know, lately in the last since around January, I started going through real depression, and I never would say anything to anybody. You know, it, it runs in our family. You know that we've always talked about that. Yeah, but um. Most of the times I had learned, I had my coping mechanisms where I dealt with it, you know, and I just 
handled it. But this time it got real deep and it got to a point where I couldn't handle it. And it, I mean, and it, it finally got to a point where I would wake up in the middle of the night like I'd ran a marathon, like my my, my heart was going to jump out of my throat. And I'm, I mean, I'm beating like my, my heart's beating. And then I go to land and I'm looking in the ceiling or I would have dreams and my dreams would be about stuff that happened to me in the Marine Corps where you witness death and all kinds of stuff. And um, finally, one day I went to the VA for uh, a checkup and, you know, one of their, one of their questions is, you know, have, have you thought about hurting yourself or hurting? And, you know, I wanted to be sarcastic and say, well, I wasn't thinking about no suicide, but I damn sure been thinking about a homicide, you know, about killing somebody. But, but I, but I, you know, you say stuff like that around some of them doctors, man. And the first thing they want to do is want to try and put you in, you know, try, trying to get everybody in there and saying, you know, we need to talk to this guy. But I broke down and I told her, I said, yeah, I, I need to talk to somebody. And, and that was the, to me, was the start of the healing because when I finally went in and they, after, after the meeting with the, my primary care physician, I went in to and talked to a psychiatrist and I just kind of total stranger just opened up and start dumping, dumping all that stuff that, you know, had been going on in my head. And she listened and she kind of gave me some, you know, say, Hey, there's a lot of things that's going on that you need to, 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 that we need to work on but to not to get off the subject that's one of the things that I talk to my like I talk to my daughter and I talk to my son and I talk I'll, I'll say this and I'm glad it's on a podcast you know for, for the young generation of or even grown men that are going through things like that if, if something is going on in your mind or in your in your that you don't want to talk you need to learn to talk to somebody you know because a lot of the time you you got to make sure you're talking to somebody that's going to help you not just something like Joe Schmo on the street like man if I was you I'd do this no you need to you need to if you if you do if you if you need help professionally go get it you know help because that's a that's a problem with with men to the you know a lot of the time they won't say what's on their mind they won't tell people that they're going through things you know they just try and deal with it themselves you know and to me, I talked to this lady and, and a lot of the times I just needed other coping mechanisms. And when she told me, she said, well, it sounds like some of the things that you did through the years that you dealt with, that you had those, you know, you were, you were able to deal with it, but there's also other things. And she kept started giving me suggestions and, and, you know, I, I listened to it because when you get to a point in your life and you get to a point where it's down at the bottom and you say, man, I got to do something because this, this can't keep going on like this. You know, that's the turning point when you start to heal, when you finally say I can't do it alone. I need some, I need some help. Mm. So that is what I would say to the younger generation, especially, you know, my nephews or my, my, my cousins or my, even my brothers or, or, or sisters, you know, if something is going on in your mind, you know, First of all, it's kind of like even with alcoholics, you have to accept it. You have a problem and you need help because you can't always fix it yourself. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad like 
I'm glad you talked about it. Um, because I'm gonna be honest, like there was times where I may be down or maybe depressed about something. And like you said, the advice we was always given was just, you know, you know, keep going, keep going. But um, you know, we got feelings too. Like we as men got feelings too. And yep. but you you don't wanna, it's like you kind of you wanna be balanced because it's like you you trying not to look too vulnerable, too weak. Yeah. And then another thing too, like you you said you talked to a woman, which is good. Um do you you actually talk to a woman? So let me ask you, do you think do you think it makes a difference talking to like would you would you have felt even more comfortable talking to a to a man, a black man, because you're a black man, or it really didn't matter? It like I said before, you know. And and this is it's funny you even bring that you asked that question because after I after I did him um, there was a mentor that I had when I was in the Marine Corps and I'll be his name is um, he was a master gunnery sergeant thirty year veteran served in Vietnam from from Brooklyn New York I mean hardcore Marine I'll say a monster he is he's a he's but he's he he's one of them guys he came to me at a point in my life when I was in the Marine Corps, when I actually, I had killing on my mind. And I remember him coming to me one morning and was talking to me, it was an incident that happened. And that's another story, but he 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 talked to him, he listened to what I had to say. And and I'm I'm dumping on him, telling him what this guy did to me. And and at the whole time, <laughs> I'm sitting here with a bottle of Tangeray and I'm drinking it out of the bottle. And I, that's how hot I was. This was early in the morning, like about seven o'clock. And I remember him looking at me and he said, I see it in your eyes. He said, whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. He said, I've been there and I know what you're thinking. And I looked at him and he said, I'm going to come back and talk to you tomorrow. But promise me that you ain't going to do what I think you're thinking about doing. And I I said, okay, top, I won't. But the reason I say that is in, because through the years, and that happened back in like 19, I want to say 90, 89, 90, when that happened. But I've always had that relationship to with him. But when I was going through all this stuff, probably about maybe a m- month and a half, two months ago, I finally dumped on him and told him what I was going through and that I'd start going to see a psychiatrist. And he, <laughs> he called them nutcrackers. Uh-huh. So he said, he said, so, so he called me up. It's funny. He called me up about uh, two days ago over the weekend. And he said, um, he called me lamp. He said, lamp. He said, um, how you, how you feeling? I said, I'm doing all right. He said, you, you still going to see that nutcracker? And I said, yeah, I'm talking to him. He said, <laughs> but he la- he said, he said, that's good. He said, he said, one of the things that, that I'm glad that you're going to see him, he said, cause, um, for all them years I was in the Marine Corps and the stuff I dealt with in Vietnam, he said, I went through like three different nutcrackers before I finally found one that I could talk to. And he said, it's good that you got this one because what what you're telling me sounds like she's on her, she's on her shit. And she's, she's actually, and she's actually helping you. And I told him, I said, yeah, he said, cause he said, cause some of those, some of those psychiatrists, or like I say, nutcrackers, he said, some of them, they ain't about nothing. He said, you know, they just there to draw a paycheck. But when you find a good one and they're able to 
help you and give you coping mechanism to deal with your problem, then that's that's a good thing. So to answer to your question, yeah, I mean, as long as there's somebody that can relate to me and can can give me guidance, you know, you because one of the old sayings too, and you know this is, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. <laughs> you know. Right. You know, so <laughs> if, if you got somebody that they're they're not in it for their heart, they might feed you a rational nonsense, but sooner or later you go like this ain't helping me and this ain't who I need. Right. You know, so so to answer to your question, if that person can give me guidance and and coping mechanisms to help me get over this hump that I'm in, I don't care if they green and got doggone, you know, purple dreadlocks. You know, <laughs> as long as they they're able to that you I can relate to, and they can give me something that's going to help me out of this the slump or, or the or the situation I'm in. Okay. Now, if you could if you could recommend one book for for people to read, what would it be, and why would you recommend it? All right, uh, I'll tell you that. Let me give you a start. When I was when I was in the police department. I went to a seminar back probably about maybe 10, 10 years ago. And it was given by this man by the name of Dave Grossman. Uh, you, you walk up on this man in the street, you look at him and he looked like probably ringing wet. He looked like he bought a, a buck 20, a buck 30. <laughs> and, uh, but this guy, um, after reading him and he, uh, he's a retired army ranger. And um, he's written a number of books, but uh, called bullet, one of them is called Bulletproof Mind. And but the one that that caught my eye was a book called Stop Teaching Our Kids to Kill. And the book pretty much uh, talks about the the association of kids using these uh, shooting games, you know, uh, and video shooting games and 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 becoming desensitized to killing mm -hmm. and like one of the one of the one article one of the chapters in the book was talking about um it, it goes into columbine and these kids and these the school shootings and things of that nature but one that stuck out in my mind was a, a incident i think it, it happened in paducah kentucky where this kid walked into a a, a, a classroom where a some kids were just finishing a Bible reading of um, a prayer session. And this kid shot six people. And I think he said in the, in the, the, out of the six people he shot three to four of those were head shots. Mm. And, and, you know, I've, in the years that I've been in law enforcement, you got cops that can't shoot that good. And where, where, where it comes to was this kid was you doing the, one of those video shooting games and he had got so good with muscle memory and, you know, and just shooting that he, four of his first shots, like I say, were headshots. So, you know, it, it, the book pretty much talks about how, you know, the, the, the way the videos are, 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 are made these days, they look so real and, you know, the gore and the blood and the blood splatter and all that because, and, you know, the kids get so good at shooting, they're desensitized to the blood and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, 
it's only natural that when they go in there, they don't have a they don't have a mindset that they're doing anything wrong because they made so many confirmed kills in a in a video game. It doesn't mean anything when they go and take a human life. So, so the book, like I said, stop teaching our kids to kill is is one that that sticks out in my mind that I, that really kind of opened my eyes up to a lot of things. And it's it, it, so you you come into my home. My kids still they if they got a video game, you best believe it ain't one of those shooting games. Mm. So, okay. so that would be one that I would I would recommend it, especially as an adult, because everybody, you know, the kids want to shoot those shooting games and stuff like that. But you think about what you're doing to that that young mind. Wow. You know. Oof. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, James, like I said, I I the 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 profession that I chose, you know, we see the 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 up the uh, the underbelly of hard times. You know, you see people in their most downtrodden and, and most vulnerable times and, and even death itself. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you think about that kind of stuff and it's and that has two like I go back to when I was saying some of the stuff that I see, you know, where I pretty much suppressed it all these years and and when you start going through things and all of a sudden anxiety kicks in, all that stuff, after all them years of just suppressing it and saying, I'm okay, it started resurfacing. Yeah. And when it started resurfacing, it's almost kind of like a, a toilet flowing over. You know, all of, the, all of the garbage is coming back up. Yeah. And you can't stop it. Man. So, you know. Well, I'm glad that you decided to stop fighting it and, and getting professional help. And I'm glad to know that, you know, you've, um, you, it's, it's helping you. I'm glad to know that you're improving daily and I'm praying that, you know, you continue to see the counseling, you continue to see more improvements. Yeah. Well, you know, one other thing I wanted to say too is I'm going on 25 years of marriage. This is, and, and my wife, one of the things that I'm so thankful and blessed to, to, to have her because I have been closed mouth and a lot of times I never really told her some of the things and the pro- things that I, that bothered me. And, and, and I, when I started talking to her, I know with some men, some men, you know, you always got to be the man, you got to be this. And, you know, she saw me, she, she's seen, she's seen me now at some of my most vulnerable points, you know, where I broke down and I, but, but always through my marriage, I didn't, I always thought that I had to be the, the, the man. And that's what I say to any man now, you know, if if you're married, you know, you got to trust that woman because that's the woman that you say that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And you have to be able to communicate with them and they got to know that, you know, when I first got married, my wife used to always say, why, why you don't talk to me? Why you don't tell me, you know, you, I see you sometime when you talk to your friends and and I it, it didn't dawn on me till to now and I'm like, man, you know, all these years and I had to actually sit down and, and apologize to her and ask for her forgiveness and say, I'm sorry. I you know now I, I you know, I'm I'm thankful that you stuck with me instead of saying, you know what, I'm I can't deal with this, I'm done, I'm gone. Yeah. She stuck with me. So, you know, I could see I say that to anyone if they're listening out there and you got a you got a woman that's been sticking by your side. You need to open up and talk to them. 
know. Yeah. Well, I think that's the perfect way to end things on a high note. And hopefully everybody is listening and remembers that, you know, for the men that have wives and the wives who have husbands, we we got to continue to lean on each other and trust each other. So, that's right. hey, cuz, I love you. I'm, I'm proud of everything you're doing. And I'm just, I'm happy to see that things are improving. And I'm sure each day it'll continue to get better. Well, James, I, 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 like I said, I've, I've seen you. <laughs> As a young man, as a young kid, as a young kid, <laughs> now I, I see you as a man, and I'm I'm I actually have to say I am proud of the man that you have become because you know the things that you're doing, you're reaching out and and you're, I know there I've listened to a number of your podcasts and you go you have a wide spectrum of people that you talk to and. It seems that your 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 base of friends are all over the place, and that's that's a great thing. So you know, I'm proud of you, and I just pray that you continue to just keep thriving on what you're doing, man. And and Lord, just continue to bless you. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate it, and thank you for listening. I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, this yeah. concludes the episode. Um, again, I want to thank everyone who's taking the time to listen. Um, I hope and pray you continue to listen. Continue to follow me on conversations underscore with underscore lamp on Instagram and also the conversations with lamp on Facebook. Thanks everyone and have a great day.